Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. Um, Welcome to The Late Show uh, with John B, everyone. It is a, a pleasure to, to welcome um, someone who I have known for a fair few years now, actually, and someone who I have, until very recently, not been able to call a colleague, um, but now is um, very, very uh, welcome in a uh, trust that we are both working at. Uh, and it's Sam Keys. Tonight we're going to be working, uh, we're going to be talking all things SEND, relationships and everything in between. So welcome, Sam. How are you? I'm good. Yes, I'm going to apologise from the off. I'm in my car at the moment. My little girl is uh, a bit poorly and I didn't dare try and uh, get through this without waking her up. So if you hear the rain, it's just Newcastle letting you know that it's still raining up here. Excellent. And and what's going to be nice tonight is that um, I'm not going to feel uh, too isolated as our accents are fairly similar. And, you know, when I do when I do these shows, I'm sometimes talking with people across the UK, across the world. So it's really nice to have um, somebody so local uh, to, to join with, um, with the accent. Uh, Sam, just to kind of uh, kick us off then, would you like to introduce yourself um, and tell us your Twitter handle? Yeah, I'm Sam Keys. I'm at Mr. Underscore K3YS. Um, I am now a head of school in the trust that you're working in, John, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my sort of journey is I started off as an NQT just outside Newcastle. Um, quickly found myself in the position to be a Senko. So it was Senko, I think, NQT plus one. Um, stayed there for about seven years in War's End, just near Newcastle. Moved across to the west end of Newcastle for a deputy head position. So deputy head, year six and Senko again. And then uh, just at October half term, I've moved to cover 
a maternity leave as a head of school in a little school uh, near Durham. So, yeah, quite a varied mix. Lots of different local authorities, lots of different trusts. Um, but Sen sort of been at the heart of it all the way through. Very good. Um, and obviously, uh, Sam brings with him a wealth of experience uh, with everything SEND. And for those uh, listening either live or listening uh, on Catch Up on Spotify or other channels, um, you can contact Sam on his Twitter handle. I know he's, he's very responsive and uh, would be happy to, to answer any follow up questions uh, either during the show or, uh, as I say, further a bit further down the line um so just before we start then sam thank you for the introduction um the next part of kind of what i'm going to ask is called desert island desks completely stolen from desert island discs from the bbc although this time we're not choosing songs this time we are choosing three things that you couldn't teach without do you know what? I've, I've listened to a few of the, the shows on Spotify and mm. I always I always think, ah, that, what a really good idea to have said that. And then when I was sat down this afternoon thinking, what am I going to say that's not been said again and again and again? I thought, I don't know. So I, I've thought of a few things and they've, they, they come in pairs. So I know you said three, but it's probably going to be like six. So we'll see how this goes. So the, the first <laughs> thing that... Um, I really, really, really need when I'm teaching is I like um, I like to have an iPad and I like to have a screen that I can uh, share to. So I, mm-hmm. I like if I'm working with a child, for example, at the back of the class and then somebody else puts their hands up and I know that I'm going to have to talk to three or four of them. I like to be able to quickly doodle on my iPad screen and show that to the, the whole class as opposed to stopping what I'm doing, walking across, losing my pen on the way, putting something down. So iPad and screen shares sort of the first pairing. The second parent is um, when I when I got my first job in the school, I wanted to think of some sort of behaviour system, and the, the the mentor that I'd worked with had this jar, and every time the kids did something well, he put a marble in the jar, and we've all heard it before. When you fill the jar, the class get a treat, and what have you. And mm. I was looking for something to have the equivalent, and my mum bought me this huge Coca Cola bottle. It was like a you might have seen them; they're like money box type things, but it's about I don't know, two and a half, three foot tall, enormous thing. And then a, a, a bag full of ball pool balls. And so that quickly became my, my marble and my jar. And it went with me in every single classroom. And up until just before October half term, when I when I retired it, it was the same bottle that seen me through 12 years, I think. So the balls and the bottle, they were definitely the second combination. And then the third one, this one isn't a pair, this one's on its own. I absolutely cannot speak highly enough for teaching assistants so i think i think that would be my third one a teaching assistant i know it's not an object but uh they need to, they need to come with me I, I they are the unsung heroes of schools and i know you talk about that a lot as well john mm. but um yeah teaching assistant would round that off for me that's a really nice one, and I'm sure teaching assistants who are listening will um, will really appreciate it. Uh, and and all of the schools that I've worked in and continue to to go into the the teaching assistant schools simply could not operate in the same way as without uh, teaching assistants. So a really worthwhile mention there, Sam. Uh, just before we dive into SEND and relationships. Uh, we're, we're kind of. Uh, I'm going to bring you just a message from our sponsor. Uh, so this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. 
Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. You can visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles in advance of your to advance your own professional development today. So happy reading, folks, and do check out um, all of the fabulous resources from John Cat. So welcome to uh, Sam on this episode of uh, The Late Show with John B. And we're going to dive straight in. And we're going to start, Sam, by talking around SEND. Um, and for those teachers who are listening, who have a, an interest in kind of SEND or, or SENCOs or aspiring SENCOs, um, or actually just any teacher listening, what advice would you give uh, on how to create an inclusive classroom for all learners? Yeah, it's a really big question. Um, I guess I'm going to touch on it a little bit later on as well. Uh, but the, the most important thing for me is is relationships. If you don't get that environment right, it doesn't matter what you're going to put in front of those children. Um, it, it's not going to help. Uh, for me, the most important thing is going back to that Maslow, making sure the kids feel safe and secure and happy in that environment. And then you can build on that. So before you look at any textbooks, before you buy any resources, before you think about what you're going to differentiate and how you're going to do it and all that sort of stuff, get that atmosphere right. So for me, that is, yes, it's the physical environment, the low stimulus classroom, the resources available, but more importantly, it's the smile at the door. It's the understanding who needs the the five minute check ins every now and then. It's understanding who doesn't want you to crowd over them. They just need you, need to know you're there, the nods, the smiles. Find out what makes them tick. That's the most important thing for me, making sure they feel safe and secure. One example I've got is there was a, there was a boy I taught a few years ago who um, had really struggled through school, really struggled with relationships. And when trust sort of broke down between him and the members of staff, you couldn't really get it back. So I knew from the off, I was going to have to really work hard to try and get him on side. So it was just little things, doing things that I knew that um, were going to, you know, build that trust. So if I promised something, make sure that happens. So saying, oh, you know, you, you've said there that you're really interested in Batman, for example. I've got this cool Batman pen tomorrow. I'm going to bring it in for you. And then tomorrow I would say, look, I've got that Batman, Batman pen that we're talking about. And so he thought... This guy's not just in it for the token gestures. He's going to follow this on day after day. So, yeah, relationships are, are, are paramount above absolutely everything for me. And then the other stuff comes in too. Yeah, and it's, it's often time um, well spent to really invest in children's interests. I really like what you said there around kind of even just small things like a smile at the door uh, and, and having that as... Um, not a whole school policy, but a kind of just a, a way of really developing a culture and a feel in a school, um, you know, standing at the classroom door each morning, welcome, welcoming children in, making sure that you say good morning. I used to work for a head teacher fairly recently who um, had said by the time the children have reached the, the first gate of the school and by the time they've walked through the yard and into the classroom, they quite often said good morning or about three members of staff. Um, and, you know, it really sets the tone for the day in, a, in a, quite a cheery, positive way. Um, and again, just a, a good way of, of building those relationships with perhaps children that you teach day to day or um, children that you don't teach day to day. Um, you can still kind of 
begin to create those relationships and, and develop develop that culture. So yeah, really interesting on um, on, on the relationship side. Um, just thinking then around some of the SEMD uh, and kind of the needs that you find in classrooms, Sam. Um, are there any kind of general strategies beyond what we've just talked about that might be useful for teachers? I guess it sort of depends on on the need, really. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things I've seen, you know, especially sort of since COVID, is the absolute rocket in, you know, SEMH concerns in 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 classrooms. So we've got mm-hmm. more and more children with anxiety, more and more children who have got um they're on the you know the neurodevelopmental pathway for possible adhd or possible autism um, mm-hmm. i'm seeing that really really increase lately you know in between different authorities you know it seems to be the picture generally across across the country so one of the things that we're really hammering home on in in this in the, you know the school that i worked in previously and the one i'm in now is getting um getting that that sort of system right you know these children often are going to be sat on a waiting list for three to four years and that it's not it's not good enough to go right okay we've done our referral and now we sit and wait we've got to be you know we've got to strike straight away and get and, and get something in place so things that we've set up you mentioned there about the greeting at the door we made that a whole school policy you know some mm-hmm. of those some of those children especially the older children they haven't seen another adult you know they haven't seen you know interacted with anybody um in that morning some of them are getting themselves up and getting themselves breakfast and getting themselves to school and mm-hmm. so you're the first person to see so telling them that they haven't got their uniform on or telling them that they've got the wrong type of shoes on or criticizing something they did the day before is is just going to set them off on the wrong tone isn't it so I totally agree we made that a school policy that we we'll greet them at the door with a smile and a compliment where we can then things like um zones of regulation so we've got you know i used something called zoomos before there's something called the you uh, hue app uh, mm-hmm. it's like a check-in emotional check-in non you know non-intrusive the kids just simply tap to say how they're feeling and the teacher's got that access to that data say oh look such and such is feeling really quite low today so then you can go in and check in the way that you know how so getting those basics in um i'm a massive advocate um of the thrive approach Mm-hmm. We had Thrive in my last school, and uh, one of one of those things was um, how you sort of you attune to the how the kids are feeling. So uh, uh, I'm going to shout out to to Jack Howell, who worked with me in my last school, who was absolutely brilliant. And she said, when a child comes at you with a feeling, you need to catch it, match it, and offer it back named. So if they came to you and they're saying, "Oh, look, I'm really um, sad because my cat died yesterday." Instead of saying like, oh, don't worry, it'll be all right. Visibly like react to that. So catch that emotion and almost take it off them and go, oh, right. It's really tough when something like that happens. You know, mm-hmm. you must be feeling really upset right now and possibly a bit confused. And so you're giving them a, you're giving them complete attunement. You're saying you agree with how they're feeling. It's perfectly normal to feel that way, but it does mm-hmm. feel bad. You're not dismissing it and you're naming it as well. You're saying that's, you know, that is deep upset that's worry that's concern or whatever it may look like um so yeah th- those sort of things to turn them into a culture in a school instead of it just being a gimmick at the door um really really help those children that like i say are sitting there for three four years before a professional tells them 
right, okay, now we're going to start this process of trying to figure out what's going on and how it can help. So that's just one example of social emotional stuff. When you're looking at things like children, you know, I've also noticed a real increase in children with dyslexia. Again, there's loads of things that you can just be doing. Having word mats out on tables, having working walls that are, you know, visible all around the classroom, having a handwriting policy that, you know, a cursive one or a precursor one that matches sort of the fonts in dyslexia-friendly text, just getting those basics right. Mm -hmm. Newcastle Council that I worked in previously had something called the SEN Mainstream Guidance, and it was packed full of just things that you do all the time or things that you think, that makes total sense. Why haven't I done that before? And so I often go back to that and and say, look, uh, you know, this is what we just need to set up. That quality first teaching actually needs to be really high quality first teaching. Because, you know, we are that, uh, we're the go-between now. You know, we, you know, we've got a lot to do for these children before they ever meet a, a professional to help support them. Absolutely, yeah. You know, what you'd sell around waiting lists is a, a, a national um, issue, uh, not just a, a localised one. Just to, just to circle back a little bit there, Sam, on, you mentioned the Thrive approach. Um, for those that are not familiar with it, can you just kind of talk around what it is and what it aims to achieve? Absolutely. I'm going to probably do this no justice at all. So please, please research it after this and feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. But basically, the Thrive approach works on the principle that um, we go through, di- all of us go through different stages of development Um I'm not going to try and name them because I'll get them in the wrong order. And if Jack ever listens, she'll tell me off. Um, And so basically before you can fully progress to the next stage of development, you have to secure everything within that stage you're in. So I think the first one's being, then thinking and then doing, and then it goes on to power and all that, that sort of stuff. So children that perhaps haven't had a really nurturing environment at a very young age might have, um, might have gaps in their being stage of development and so one example for uh, to, to try and illustrate that would be that um, when you go through this Thrive Assessment approach, you might find out that somebody who perhaps um, didn't, yeah, didn't have that sort of nurturing environment as a baby and wasn't cradled or you know rocked when they were um, when they were when, when they were crying as a child, they might be stuck and have gaps at that being stage. So then the Thrive approach offers su- suggestions of how you can how you can support that child by giving them some of those skills um, that will then later sort of help them out. So I'm, I'm doing a rubbish job of this. But if a child, like I say, wasn't sort of rocked back and forth to sleep when they were crying, they might not later on like know how to sort of self-regulate. So mm-hmm. some of the activities they might suggest are you might play like a rock and boat game with this child and talk about um, how that's making you feel calm and you're trying to give them words and giving them explanation and experience that sort of helps them sort of fill in some of those gaps that they may have. Like I say, it's a really comprehensive tool and and there's a reason why you have to be sort of specifically trained for it because it involves a lot of, you know, quite high level psychology to fully understand it. So definitely research it. It is quite expensive, um, but lots of lots of local authorities are definitely keen to support. I know when I worked in North Tyneside, they were keen to support there. Newcastle was the same. Um, it's it's brilliant. Um, we were moving when I was at my last school to a stage where it wasn't just Jack who was the Thrive practitioner. 
who was doing these uh, interventions, it was becoming a whole class thing where we right. would were incorporating incorporating it into PSHE lessons and things like that. So, yeah, definitely have a look at the Thrive approach. Great, thanks for that, Sam. And what strikes me about kind of you've mentioned there about Thrive, catch it, match it, and throw it back to them, um, both of which sound like really good strategies. Essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sam. What it sounds like is we're we're offering kind of um, emotional literacy to the children to so that they can. Um, kind of articulate their feelings and their thoughts when, you know, sometimes it can be really difficult to find the words as an adult, never mind as a child. A hundred percent. That's that's exactly it. We're just, we're giving them, as you say, that language to be able to communicate it. You know, when, when I went to school, certainly that was not the environment that I was brought up in. And, you know, I, I look back now and I, I speak quite, you know, openly about the fact that when I was a child, I, I really, really, suffered with anxiety massively so various things going on in home life and things like that i was a child on the send register i was a child who really struggled and it was very much you know grow up or uh, you know boys don't cry all of that sort of stuff that culture that we talk about now and go how did that happen and why was that the case and yeah. i didn't have the words to say that i was worried you know, about my mum my and my dad. I didn't have the words to say that I felt vulnerable because I felt like I was looking after my brothers, you know, that sort of stuff. So now we're being able to say to these children, I know what you're feeling. It doesn't mean I'm throwing it away. I'm getting rid of it. I know that you're feeling, you know, anxious. I know that you're feeling dysregulated. And when a child can communicate that, it gives them power, doesn't it? And they, yeah. they've got that power to say, well, actually, because I know that and I know what it is and I know that I'm not alone in that, I know that I can come back from that. You know, I, I, I really, really can't, you know, speak highly enough for the, the as I say, going back to teaching assistants, because they're often the ones that are doing this. They're the ones that are, are sort of sitting with these children and explaining their worries and helping them overcome them. But yeah, emotional literacy. And that's one thing that, um, We've we've just enrolled some of our teaching assistants on some ELSA training, so emotionally, emotional literacy um, support assistant. Training. Mm -hmm. They're doing a lot of that, yeah, communicating feelings and and all, all of that sort of stuff. Super. It sounds like a great work and and, and something I think that. Um teaching assistants would be you know most teaching assistants that I've came across in my career uh, kind of seem naturally attuned to, to that kind of work so to have some um, additional support training professional development to really enhance that um, I think it would be time really well spent thanks Sam that's 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 really helped us understand kind of the approach um, for teachers listening then, um, SENCOs or leaders, um, what are your thoughts around uh, differentiation in particular for children with SEND? Now, there's a big question. I think mm. if, I had, if I had the answer to that, I'd probably be very rich. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to liken this to one of my roles in my last school was I was educational visits coordinator and stick with me on this one and one of the things that they they often encourage was yes you can do a risk assessment about a visit and you can say 
what the pitfalls are going to be and you can say where the risks are and how such and such might need to take this because they'll struggle on the you know the surface or the steps or whatever they always said you need to do dynamic risk assessment so dynamic and ongoing risk assessment and i thought i'm a i'm a bit of an advocate for dynamic differentiation as well um you could plan this you know bells and whistle lessons and say that such and such is going to need this and such and such needs this and they always shock you don't you and they normally shock you when you've got somebody in watching you to tell you if you're doing a good job or not <laughs> so for me dynamic differentiation is sort of the the way be prepared be prepared to offer resources and scaffolding but i'm always going to go back to i want to give everybody the chance to go as far as they possibly can you often find it, don't you? It was always the lessons for me around um, shape and space or statistics where I've prepared this lesson. I've said such and such who's really struggled with number and really struggled with, um, I don't know, their arithmetic and the calculation, then pulls out all the stops and that actually, you know, they know all of the names and the words associated with 3D shapes. They know how to draw a pie chart. They're absolutely brilliant at algebra because you've introduced it using shapes or whatever that may be. I just yeah. think always be prepared for them to um, to shock you because I think that's really important too. Um, so in terms of differentiation, I sort of said it before, having things available, having options, having working walls, having scaffolds, having resources and manipulatives out for everybody you know good practice for sen is actually just good practice for everyone isn't it you know if you get if you get that right and you get that environment right and you get those non-negotiables right you're going to give everybody a chance um so i've kind of not answered that question in the slightest by saying that actually it's much bigger than just you know when i was just saying such and such is going to do this task where such and such does this task there's so many other routes to it so Dynamic differentiation. Maybe I should trademark that one. Yeah, I like that. Um, a really nice way of putting it and very succinct. Um, what I liked about that and with my kind of maths hat on, um, I'm going to kind of extend that point a little bit there, Sam. Um, Sam feels an example there which focused on uh, geometry and, uh, you know, children uh, with SEND, children without SEND uh, may be um, low attaining in arithmetic, number, fractions. Um, that has limited um, kind of um, links to their ability with geometry or um, other areas of maths. It's, you know, that the, the maths is quite often considered quite compartmentalized with the different units and the different kind of contents that you're teaching in a way that perhaps reading and writing isn't or other subjects um so it's an interesting um angle to look at it from SEND, particularly from a maths point of view as well are actually you can quite often find children are um particularly strong in one area such as um shape and geometry uh, but uh, perhaps less secure in other areas of maths, and you know that that kind of that kind of makes sense really when you think about it like that. Um, okay, right. We are uh, thinking about SEND. We're going to kind of change the lens a little bit, and we kind of started um, the show talking around this, and it was Sam's first uh, point about creating an inclusive classroom and uh, building that relationship and trust um so the next part really sam is about effective relationships and the, the line of questioning uh, is going to be all around that so uh, 
kind of the first question is if if, if we're saying relationships are important for an inclusive um, classroom, why are the, why are the relationships between teacher and students that important? Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. Yeah, good question. And I guess, I, you know, I will repeat myself a little bit so I apologise for that, but for me, it's 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 the most important thing: trust, respect. You know, I had four rules when I was in the classroom. It was, the you know, be kind, work hard, listen carefully, and be respectful. And that goes both ways. And so, if a child knows exactly where things are, they know exactly what the routines are. They know that these are the non-negotiables whatever happens mr keys is going to do this this and this if this happens this happens if this happens this happens everyone just feels safe and secure they know what's going on if something changes you communicate it well but because you're that person that they trust and respect they're going to understand that change so i was all about that first week perhaps even beforehand if you knew that there was a child coming into your class the following year who's going to need that little bit more work just building up that trust, making sure that they feel safe and happy in your presence, and then then you're on to a good thing. I I genuinely think that it's the it's the core part of teaching is that they look at the front of that classroom or wherever you are, and they go, yeah, uh, he understands me. He's listening to me when I say something. He's not just throwing it away. He cares about me, and because of that, I'm going to give him that respect back. And don't get us wrong, I'm saying this like every classroom I'm in, I've got 30 children looking at me like Miss Honey and I'm teaching Matildas. That's not <laughs> the case, you know, and it does go wrong. It absolutely does go wrong. And you get children who don't, you know, you know, no matter what effort you put in, they don't show that trust. There might be barriers. There might be history that they've got. There might be difficult circumstances at home, which means that the person stood at the front of the class is, it, is not going to just gain their trust instantly it's it's hard work it really is hard work I, I i said this when i spoke um 
to Matt on primary education voices. I was a bang average teacher, but I genuinely think I was really good at the relationship side of things, which made me a better teacher. So, I, I, you know, going back to your question, why do I think it's so important? I think it's more important than pedagogy. And, you know, people might disagree with that. But for me, that is the most important thing. Um, I, I look back at my education and I think the teachers that I feel like I learned the most from, when I think about a lesson that they taught, I struggle. But when I think about the conversations they had with me, I can remember them like they were yesterday. You know, I can I can think about a teacher in my primary school who clearly just got me. He just understood me. And because of that, I listened to every word he said. Yeah. Um, going again into into high school, um, there was a teacher called Mr. Clifford and he was just, he understood that what was going on in my life was probably a little bit different than many others. And because of that, he, and he showed that in, how, in, in the way he interacted with me, I would have, I would have done any assignment he asked. You know, the, the coursework that I did for him was 10 times longer than the coursework I did for anyone else. When he was doing revision classes on, you know, in the Easter holidays, I was there, all based on relationship. Um, Sir John Jones did a course um, that I went on years and years ago, and he talked about teachers being magic weavers. And he said the same thing. The ones that weave the magic are the ones that you've got those relationships with, the ones that spot you in your moment of need, the ones that speak to you in the way that you need to be spoken to. and I, always, I love telling this story, and I've probably told you this one before, John. I think you know one of the events that we've crossed paths on. John Jones said, "You've got to reach out and tell your your magic weaver, thank you." And I did. I wrote I wrote an email to Mister Clifford, and I was absolutely like dead excited to to try and reach out to him. And I didn't hear anything back for a while. And then there was a a, a day when I was I was working in North Townsend, and there was a boy who had quite significant needs, and he was having a bad day, and um. I'd spent a bit of time with him trying to, you know, regulate and things like that. And it had been really tricky and I'd, I got to lunchtime and I was exhausted. And I went to my, my cupboard and I checked my phone and there was one email sat there and it was from Mr. Clifford. And it absolutely it took me back to, to being that child in school. And I thought, wow, like for somebody to have that hold and have that impression for, you know, years and years and years that is that is magic. And that's all because of a relationship. You know, I think it's it's so important. I think it was uh, Maya Angelou who crystallised exactly what you're saying there, Sam, and I'm sure she said something along the lines of, you will forget what people say, but you will never forget how you, they made you feel, um, which, which I think sounds like it rings true in your case, and certainly um, rings true in my case, and I, you know, I'm suspecting most of the listeners as well would would agree with that. You you tend to work hardest for those that inspire you, those that respect you, those that take a real vested interest in what you do. So I think, yeah, you've you've really sold why relationships are, <clears throat> are really important. And I guess once those relationships are in place, that's where the power of pedagogy comes in. And actually the relationship that you have with your children might inform the pedagogy that you choose to to have in your classroom so it kind of it all links in in the, in the grand scheme of things um just thinking then we did you did touch on that sam about uh, children who might present difficult behavior um may be dysregulated what advice would you give teachers centers leaders 
um, around kind of supporting uh, children with um, quite extreme dysregulated behaviour. Yeah, good question. The first thing I guess I would say is um, hats off to any secondary teachers who are listening because I know that it's a completely different ball game. Um, and when we've got them in primary school, it it is a very different it's a very different experience from some of the things I hear about secondary. So when I'm when I talk about this, I'm kind of coming at it from a primary angle. When when there's been difficult behaviour in in the primary schools I've worked in, we often know an awful lot about that child. We mm. often know what their normal triggers are. We often know, you know whether something's happened that week on their street or whether something's happened with their sister or their uncle's in hospital or their dog's died. You know, we know a lot more. And that's the nature of the beast with, with secondary schools is because there's so many more children and they're going to be, be on, you know, between so many more classrooms and so many more members of staff, that is much harder for secondaries to do. So, yeah, when I when I have experienced difficulties, you, yes, you try and look for an explanation, Sometimes there's a fairly obvious one. Sometimes you can't ever figure out what the trigger is. Another thing I would say is um, don't think you can be all things to all people. Uh, when I first became Senko, I thought it gives me license to be the person that fixes everything. Mm. And you'll know yourself that that just doesn't happen. Um, sometimes it can be you can spend an hour trying to help a child regulate and calm down and then it just takes one person to come in and say one sentence that you've said four billion times but just that change of face was the person that allowed them to come out of it um i'd also say one of the things that the thrive approach sort of advocates is if somebody's in that dysregulated moment they might not be ready to hear what you've got to say mm -hmm. um sometimes giving a child space and giving them a safe space to 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 calm down a safe space to sort of find their way out of it a safe space to just be in that moment that's really important too um often when we're looking at behavior situations you want a quick you want a quick end to it all don't you and then you want to wrap it up and you want to write up what you need to write up and you want to get the apologies out of the way and all that sort of stuff but sometimes it's much much bigger than that um mm. So yeah, those sort of three things. Secondary behaviour, I, I couldn't possibly comment. I know it's a whole different ball game, and there's some brilliant people uh, working in secondary schools working with behaviour. Mm -hmm. Secondary, don't think that you can do it, um, because you've got a certain title on your name or whatever it is, or because you're the class teacher, because you know them best. Sometimes it just takes somebody else to come and be that other face. I, I'm often that other face because I'm not in the classroom anymore. But um, mm -hmm. I certainly, you know, I, I did used to find that really hard to accept sometimes that somebody else would come in and be that fixer. Um, and the, the third thing as well is it's not just going to happen quickly. You need that. Uh, sometimes they need that time and space. Um, what I would say is when it comes to difficult behaviour, going back to what I said at the start about greeting children with a smile and things like that, if at all possible try and have it closed by the end of that day the next day is a new day that child doesn't need grudges going on into day two and day three they need that reset button pressed so where possible i like to make sure that i know i said there that sometimes you need to give them time and space i like to make sure that behavior 
incidents are dealt with and there's sort of a, you know, an end to it before the end of the day so that the next day is a fresh start. Um, yeah. One of the things I really have enjoyed using is sort of a restorative approach to behaviour. Um, I find that when you've got a, a school policy where kids are talking about emotions and about feelings, trying to involve them in that discussion a little bit more when they've got that language is really good. So one silly example is say two children have fallen out and one children's lashed out, one child's lashed out at another child. Ask them how they think the other child might feel and what they feel they should have as a punishment for that. Nine times out of 10, those kids are going to be harsher than you were. Um, but it's a good it's a good way of bringing that narrative around to now that's happened, we're going to move on to what happens next. Yeah, um, I think there's some really interesting points there. One of the things that has uh, struck me some is, and this comes from a place of kind of fairly recent experience, is if there are, um, if there's a small but significant minority of children who are, perhaps um, behaving in ways that could be um, physically intimidating, um, almost dangerous um, to the point of being physical with members of staff. Um, kind of that, I, I suppose what, what I'm trying to get at is sometimes building relationships is really tricky and you have touched upon that for, for some of the, the harder to reach children um, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on kind of um, and I think I could probably guess but what your thoughts are on when is it right to suspend and to exclude children it's really really tough it's really really tough um, you, you, you meet some schools who wear zero exclusions with pride and I get it that's that's great for them and then you get some schools who exclude a lot more I genuinely feel it's really hard to comment when you don't know everything that's gone on um one of the things that I've done recently in my my, my teaching career is I've worked a lot with the, the high schools where children have gone up from us in primary who have been having a really tough time and then the transition to high school hasn't gone well yeah. and the conversation I always have is have you done everything you possibly can have you spoke to everybody you could possibly speak to have you put everything in place that you feel could have supported that child and if your answer is yes then you can make that decision with confidence um Again, it's so hard to comment and it's such a tough question. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I've been there. I've been there with children who have who've headbutted me. I've been there with children who've thrown things at me. I've had those conversations. And, and, and if there's ever and a nagging doubt with me where I feel I haven't been, I haven't done everything I can, I haven't spoken with parents, I haven't worked with agencies, I haven't followed recommendations. If there's a nagging doubt, mm -hmm. then... I guess I get sometimes it could be a, a downfall of mine. I guess I am softer in the approach that it's my last resort if mm -hmm. if, if that comes across. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, kind of my thinking around that is um, <clears throat> if children 
if, if it is a one child or a small group, but a significant group that are, are behaving like that, um, and you're trying to put strategies in place, but those strategies we often know can take a while to um, to really kind of embed and to to see any change. What what message are we then sending to all of the other children about the the highly dysregulated behaviour? Um, I don't necessarily expect an answer. I think it's an interesting question, um, and I, I, I don't think necessarily that there's a blanket response. Like you say, Sam, I think it, it's a case by case uh, judgment call um, on the safety of you know one children, including the psychologically psychological safety of children, um, but also the the bigger group of children who perhaps come in do the right thing all of the time. Um, day in, day out, and how to best protect those in in those situations. Um, so yeah, um, okay. Tell you what, uh, I'm going to read out a quick message from our sponsor, and then we're going to move on to um, continue looking at relationships. We're going to focus uh, more on relationships with parents. So this show is brought to you in partnership with John Platt Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. You can visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. And happy reading folks. So, um, Read some really interesting points made there, Sam. Um, like I said, we're going to kind of switch it so that the, the lens now focuses on relationships, but with parents. So why do you think it's so important that teachers engage with parents, Sam? It won't come as a shock to you that I'm, uh, I'm going to come at it from a same point of view again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when I worked in North Tyneside as, as a psycho at the start of my career, quickly realized how important parents were in in being the the missing jigsaw piece to a puzzle that I was trying to solve and we often overlook them we often you know invite them to support plan meetings where we've already decided what their targets are going to be and we might have already reviewed them with the teacher already we might you know go on a training session and then you know, feed that back to staff, but we don't tell the parents of the children that that training is going to really help. So one of the things I set up was a um, sort of a, a parent forum. I was actually on some, I was on the, the Nathan Live conference, the National Associ Association for Special Education Needs down in um, Birmingham, I think it was. And uh, I was sat listening to Natalie Packer speak and she said something about it was just a comment part of her her presentation i, I latched on which she said um why don't you invite parents to the cbd that staff have and I, I i sat with that and when i was on the train on the way home i thought there's something in that some of these parents you know are, are having a real challenge at home and we're accessing training in the spare seats in that classroom you know that parents could definitely hear you know hear some of this advice definitely take it so i thought i wonder what that looks like in my setting so the first thing i did was i invited the parents of children with special education needs in for like a, um, a meeting and i wanted to sort of share my vision and uh i sat there on like a cold 
a cold November evening, the caretaker had stayed late to let, you know, let parents in. I bought some biscuits and cakes and sweets and stuff. And um, one by one, a few parents started to trickle in. And I said, look, this is the idea I've got. Do you think there's something in it? And these parents were buzzing and they were like, like would love that when we'll, we'll want to we'll want to find out more and then i sort of sat back a bit and then they started talking to each other and i thought what an absolutely brilliant experience this is that they're meeting other other, other parents that have got similar experiences and they're sharing advice and i thought i've got to use this and so i um we set up these sessions and i had educational psychologists come in i had people from cams come in my mom came in. My mom works with um, with parents of you know parenting crisis basically, um, mm-hmm. and she came and did some sessions, which was really weird sitting watching my mom at the front of my classroom, <laughs> um, and it was just brilliant. I absolutely loved it, and it, like I say, it really sort of uncovered that actually a lot of the information that I needed and that I was ringing professionals for and I was writing referrals for was actually sat at the end of the phone and it was the parents that had it and I just wasn't using that resource. So it's, it's been, that was, it was a really, really big moment for me in sort of Mm. understanding how important that was. And completely new to me, Sam, that sounds, um, you know, when we talk about involving parents, what a really novel um, and interesting way uh, uh, of doing that. Um, and something that I can I can see would also create a kind of um, a real cohesion between home and school and kind of keeping those links fresh and keeping parents um, updated and on side. Um, I could I can see the many benefits of that actually um, and something that I think um, would benefit teachers, children, parents. Uh, and all stakeholders in the school. So that, that sounds really interesting. Um, but just thinking then of those parents that may be harder to reach in terms of um, perhaps don't respond to telephone calls, emails, requests for meetings. Um, how do you begin to overcome that, Sam? I'm pleased you asked because, uh, you know, it sounded all rosy there. When I moved to... When I moved to the the second school I worked in in, in Newcastle, um, mm. I was I was quite naive. Um, I remember going for my look around and meeting the the head teacher at the time, and saying, "Oh, you know, I set up this parent group and it got nominated for an award, and you know, Ofsted loved it, blah blah blah." And uh, he looked at me and he said, "It won't happen here, son." And I thought, "What?" Like, I've just told him that the best idea I've ever had in my career and it's gone really well and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, nah, nonsense, you know, it'll be fine. So when I started at this school, bearing in mind, this is the second school I've worked in. I'd trained in the school that I ended up, you know, getting the job in. Um, it was also the school that was half a mile from the house I grew up in. Half of the teaching assistants had babysat me as a child. You know, this... I completely knew that community. I knew the people in that community. They knew me. So then when I moved to this new school, I was a completely unknown entity. Mm. And so I I thought, you know what, regardless of what he says, I'm going to invite them in. And so I did the same thing. I did a survey about when the best time would be. I invited parents in and I sat there and nobody turned up. And I was absolutely devastated. And he was right. 
and so I, going back to what you said, you know, some people are harder to reach and some people don't respond. And I thought, you know what, I've got to try something different here. Is it because there's a lot of families that English is, a, you know, an additional language? Is it because relationships are poor? Is it because they don't know what Sen is? So I, I tried a different tact. So I set up a, a newsletter system. I had a newsletter that I made for kids, a newsletter that I made for staff, a newsletter that I made for parents. I wrote it in real sort of um, sort of basic speak. I didn't want to do any jargon. I didn't want to overload anyone or anything like that. And it was fairly well received. A few people talked about it. It it didn't achieve what I wanted it to achieve. I didn't get that community feel from it. I, I was sending it out and then hoping that somebody picked it up. Um, and I really struggled with that. And it, it got me really, I was really bothered by it because I'd used this tool and it had worked so well in my first school. I, I was worried about, you know, I wanted to get that right again. So I tried that, that didn't work. I tried doing one-to-one -one meetings and I got some attendance, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. And so the, the last thing I did was, um, when we were looking at our Facebook and our Twitter and things, I was getting a lot more engagement from parents. They were accessing it in their own time um, and, and you know, and digesting, digesting information however they, they wanted from their sofa or whatever it was at their break at work. And so I made some YouTube videos, kept them really short, really basic, um, used, uh, like I had a transcript that was translatable and added a translate button to the website so you know parents who didn't speak english could access it too and that was much much better i was getting much more response from that and much more feedback and it the plan was to grow that and continue that and that was when i moved on so hopefully somebody else has picked that up and maybe is is going with it if it if it continues to work but um yeah th there can be serious pitfalls different communities have different sort of ways of taking things in different responses and so going back to that head teacher who said it won't work here so he, he was right but I, I didn't want to be dampened I wanted to try and find another way so yeah persevere and I guess go to them as opposed to wait for them to come to you mm -hmm. and I, I think as well trying perhaps novel approaches such as the use of technology initially and then um, moving on to perhaps developing that to more face-to-face -face things because they've seen you on camera or on their phone and they might feel a little bit more inclined to come into school. Um, but we forget, you know, we're in schools all the time for those that haven't been in schools for 5, 10, 15 years plus, um, I would imagine that we quite intimidating places and not everyone had a, a brilliant experience of... Um, uh, of their kind of formative school years. So I think that there, there, there may be something in that. Um, okay, uh, so just kind of sticking with, with parents, Sam, um, in terms of uh, kind of your um, your new role and, and, and kind of everything that you're doing there, what are kind of your, your, your first things that you're going to do to get to get parents on board with, with you, with the staff team, um, so that teachers who are listening, leaders who are listening, might be able to implement some of those. Just some really quick fire stuff. Oh, are you there, Sam? I can see you there. I think you might have just slipped off a little bit. Okay, let me just um, 
let me just round up slightly kind of what what we've covered so far so we've been talking about relationships sam's made some really good points on um why he feels that relationships are the starting point of everything that we do um and, and kind of developing trust we we've talked about thrive as well so please do um read up on that one thing that's kind of stuck with me that sam's mentioned uh on the podcast today is about when when children are telling you about their feelings this idea of um catching it matching it and throwing it back to them and um you know sam's talked really passionately there about dynamic differentiation and actually differentiation being for um pretty much every child and differentiating your pro your approach and I think um, perhaps that might be a fresher way of thinking about differentiation than differentiation by task, which I think actually lots of schools have, have moved away from. Um, and some, you know, some really interesting points there around um, around engaging with parents, difficult behaviour, and trying to kind of blend what happens in school, what happens outside of school, to make a, a far more coherent and cohesive approach um, to support the children. Um, so, Sam, I was just saying before um, before you slipped out of internet connection or whatever happened there, kind of, um, you're, you're starting a new role, um, or you have started a new role. Um, what are, what's the first thing that you're going to do to try and um, support uh, parents kind of getting on board with your vision um, and buying into what you're going to be about as a school? Yeah, so uh, that's a really good question. Yeah, sorry, I, I slipped out there. I asked, um, I asked a good group of friends of mine that I'm in a, a, a DM group with on on Twitter that I've been in, you know, communication with for a number of years now. I said, what what should I be doing? What advice have you got? And the general theme from all of all of the 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 people in that chat was, listen, listen, learn. You know, there's a lot of information there. Um, sit down with staff find out what they love, what the things about the school are that they absolutely adore and never want to change. You know, they came up with 113 different reasons why, you know, you know, why that's important to listen. And they gave examples of how they've been let down by staff in the past and leaders that have come in all gung-ho and made loads of decisions without actually truly understanding what was going on. So the most important thing I took away is Paul Watson had said, he said, sit down with everybody. And then he said, do something that's going to, you know, gain people's respect and trust, whether it's you put something on at Christmas time or something like that. And, you know, I, I, I really stand by that. I've been there a couple of weeks now working with a brilliant executive head. And uh, there's a lot of things that we want to, to change. But equally, there's a lot of things in that school that, the you know, protected characteristics of the, the character of the school that you don't want to you don't want to wipe clean and. A lot of the staff have been there a lot longer than, you know, the most. So it's important that we tap into that. So listen and learn has been my sort of my motto for the last couple of weeks. Words to live by, Sam. <laughs> in yeah. respects. Um, thank you. I mean, we're going to change tack slightly um, now because we have talked about SEND um, and relationships and, you know, we're really... Um, drawn out some really meaty topics there but I just wanted to change because I know that uh, another thing that uh, you're interested in Sam is uh, writing uh, in particular um, writing with a purpose and an audience um, so just thinking about that why is it important for children to learn 
um, how to write with purpose and audience in their mind. Yeah, I'm a real, I'm really, really passionate about writing. I've always loved writing. That's been my thing. It was my way of letting it go feelings when I was younger, whether it was writing stories or poems or whatever it is. Um, that that was my go-to. So it sort of followed me into, I did sort of English A-level and things like that and continued a bit of writing when I was at university. So it's always been my passion. But one of the things that I've consistently found and lots of people have talked about it is there's always a bit of a battle, isn't it, getting people to write. There's always that age-old, you know, sort of complaint that boys don't want to write long and boys don't want to write stories all this sort of stuff so throughout my time teaching I've always tried to give them a purpose for it give children a purpose and a point for it and say it's not just for me to read in your book and then put away and move on to the next topic there's a reason for it so whether that's just creating a book of the stories that the kids have at the back of the class and they can go back and have a look through it whether it's putting it on Twitter or something like Pobble which I'm a great fan of given that um that writing an audience around the world whether it's you know i've done some things working with the local museum so in my first school we did a project around um local history and so the kids produced some brilliant writing and i managed to get in touch with the the museum who said that they would display it for us so then the parents could go and see it over half term and i tell you what those kids that were reluctant to write at the start of that topic certainly weren't at the end when (laughs) their work was going to go on display next to you know, a, a boat that's been there for 150 years. You know, it, it it really it brings things to life, doesn't it? So I'm I'm really about making things, you know, pop. It's exciting. It's there's a there's a real point to it. You know, it's transcending into all subjects. Really, I think the the best lesson I ever taught was a um I shouldn't say this to a maths lead, but a, a maths lesson when I was um training in year one, and. Uh, the children were doing some measuring and uh, I pretended that they'd had a delivery from the Build-A-Bear workshop whose cutting machine had broken so it couldn't measure the ribbons for the bear's bows or whatever it was. And uh, I set the, the class a task of measuring the different colour bows and putting them back in the box. And that, the buzz in that classroom was incredible. And then the next day they wrote a letter back to the Build-A-Bear factory saying thank you and, you know, could they help again? And when you've got that purpose and that excitement, that spark, it doesn't matter whether they're they're four, five, you know, ten or eleven. They they really, really want to do it. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember another one where a teacher colleague of mine um, pretended that there'd been a tree falling down, and I'll never forget. She put the the lanyard of her teaching assistant underneath the tree. <laughs> and we, had to, we had to quickly pull a few children aside who think I think we might have scarred um, and and reassure them that the teaching assistant was just having a cup of tea back in the classroom. But I tell you what, they were fired up to write. They were fired up to explain that when they could relay back to that emotion that they'd felt 10 minutes beforehand. So I'm all about giving writing a purpose and bringing it to life. And um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's easy to do. Sometimes it's a little bit hard and we have to be a bit more creative. But yeah, definitely writing with an audience and a purpose. Yeah, I I think there's something in that. And you've just triggered a memory from a lesson I observed a while back, actually, an English lesson. The teacher had been reading the day the crayons quit. And um, the next day when the children came in, she'd got some police tape and tied up all of the chairs that the children were sitting on. 
and she told them that the chairs had quit and they had to write a persuasive piece uh, to get the chairs back. So all of those little hooks and kind of contextualizing, yeah, I think having a, a real sense of purpose and audience in mind can be a, a real motivating factor for children and can be done in so many creative and, and different ways. One of my passions, and I know kind of, um, <clears throat> I know kind of maths is, is me, me real passion, but another passion of mine in primary education is, is, is the use of picture books. And I'm a real advocate for using those um, right in early years, but all the way through to year six and beyond, because I think they're so rich and chosen well can be really motivating um, for children. Anyway, that's as, as, a, as a little aside there. Um, what do you think then, Sam, if kind of, if we're thinking around, purpose and audience and um, really providing that context for um, for children to write and to motivate them to write. What do you think some of the challenges are for teachers in, in order for them to do that well? Yeah, another good question. Um, time, mm -hmm. experience, um, it's really tough. We're asked to be very, very creative people with, um, you know, your background might not be English. Your background might, you know, be, uh, you know, some people are primarily history based or primarily music based or modern foreign languages or something like that. You might not necessarily have all of that experience. Um, I think it can be really tough, but I've always found the benefit. You know, you've just given an example there that, that's a brilliant one that people can take away. The power of social media, the stuff that's out there is fantastic. Mm. People sharing that positive, you know, positive practice and great examples. Like I've gone back to, you know, I'll go back to it again, that, 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 that group I'm in, sounding out different ideas. Look, I'm doing this unit about this. Have you got any ideas about this? Um, I've spoke, again, I spoke about them on the Primary Education Voices um podcast when i spoke to matt but um stephen connor who's a good friend of mine i was really struggling with a a, a writing unit we're doing a, you know adventure stories about conquering the monster and he's got a brilliant blog where he's pretty much just given you all of the resources so mm -hmm. as as much as i say time's tight and money's tight and creativity might be limited there's so much out there now isn't there yes you have to filter it and yes you have to look at go right that's not going to work in my setting and that's not right for me but there's so much out there to call upon and yeah picture books too are, are are great and again paul watson massive advocate of that and you know you can put you can pull things out one of the things i loved teaching in year six was the book the arrival mm -hmm. about sean tan and then you know look at the world we're in now and actually you can do some serious comparisons you know you've got you know, refugees landing from Ukraine and they're in a completely different world and they've got to get used to a completely different culture and a system. And, and that picture book brings all those conversations to light. You don't have to, you know, get in touch with your local museum to have a display up there to create that authentic purpose. You could actually have that from a discussion that's rich around something that's going on in the classroom. I know when you're doing writing to persuade and we look at all of the stuff that Marcus Rashford did a few years ago, during COVID and his campaigns for free school meals, there's a lot of authentic purpose stuff that's on your doorstep as well. And, you know, things that you can just pick up instantly from looking mm -hmm. online. So definitely, yeah, barriers are time, money and, and sort of creative resource, but there's a lot of stuff out there that you can tap into for free and use that power of social network. 
Thank you, Sam. Yeah, and uh, I'd mirror that, you know, in, in, in terms of the use of um, some really well published resources or well thought out resources and, and kind of, you know, adapting them and, like Sam says, sitting through them uh, and, and making them um, making them pop. I think, as you, you maybe had said earlier, Sam, making things really pop and making, you know, the, really special for the, for the children. Um, okay, we're going to finish with a, a quick word from our sponsor, and then I've got three final quick fire questions, um, just to kind of drill down and, and, and to tie all of this podcast together. So this show is brought to you in partnership with John Carter Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles to advance your own professional development today and happy reading. So I've got three final questions from and um, on the surface of them, they seem fairly straightforward. Um, actually, once you start <laughs> and think about them, maybe more, uh, more kind of um, convoluted and, and challenging than I anticipated. So question one is, What's the biggest reward of teaching? <laughs> well, that's a huge question, isn't it? Right, okay. I'm going to try and be really quick with this one. Biggest reward of teaching is when you hear that little nugget in the future that you've really made a difference to somebody. So um, whether it's a parent reaches back out to say that they're now at university doing such and such and they remember your whatever lesson. Um, I had an email from a, 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 a parent just in the summer holidays to say that this girl that had felt that she'd been written off by other teachers had now just graduated um or has just got onto a university course and is going to help children in um in in a um an orphanage in africa and i thought if she's if she's doing something so inspiring and she remembers me as being part of that journey that is that is the exact reason i got into teaching to to mm -hmm. make a difference to someone's life thank you sam what are some of the biggest challenges in teaching then? Biggest challenge for me, I'm going to stick with that Sen hat. Sen is becoming a really challenging situation. The system is absolutely broken and we're having to, to firefight, unfortunately. Um, so my biggest challenge as a Senko is when staff come to me and they're at breaking point and I know that my answer isn't going to be the answer that they need. Um, so that's a big challenge for me at the minute. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably mirrored by a lot of SENCOs, a lot of leaders in a lot of schools. It's, uh, yeah, it is an area that's um, underfunded, an area that's um, underappreciated in some ways. And, uh, you know, like you've said tonight, Sam, the, the kind of the book lies at the door of the school to do everything that they possibly can. And sometimes, unfortunately, that isn't enough and, and children need, you know, very specific and um, very tailored support and it, that can take a, a long time. Okay, final question then. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about coming into the wonderful world of teaching? Absolutely do it. Um, yes, there'll be negatives and people will say negative things, but when you have that good conversation or you've taught that lesson where you feel like you were absolutely brilliant 
or you, I don't know, score that goal when you're playing with the, the, the kids playing football at lunchtime. Whatever that may be, those moments are so special. They are absolutely brilliant. So get in, get into it, stick by it, give it a chance. Yes, there'll be bumps on that ride, but the highs are so much higher than the lows. Thank you, Sam. And thank you so much for your, uh, your, your time on this podcast tonight. I know lots of listeners will have taken uh, so much from your words, from your experience. Um, and um, I feel like you've, you've really spoken from the heart tonight and, and, and kind of allowed us to, to learn about you and kind of your earlier experiences. So thank you for, thank you for sharing. I really do appreciate it. Um, the only thing left to say is thank you to all of the listeners. Um, we uh, look forward to uh, sharing other stories from other really inspirational people uh, across the world of education. Uh, you can listen to other episodes on uh, the Teacher Talk radio uh, streaming services uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. But thank you ever so much once again, Sam, for uh, joining me tonight on The Late Show. And thank you to all of the listeners for your, um, for your time as well. And we will see you very soon take care everyone you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio